0: Uh,
1: Mr. Mr. Kibler. Yeah.
0: How do you do, sir? Very nice to meet you.
1: And you and you. I'm not <laughs> sure who's who, but uh
0: I'm who and he's who. Ah, <laughs>
1: uh, Well the I'm, twins. I'm Dave. And I'm and Jeff. Th-
2: and this is Mr. Charles Charlie? Charles Kibler?
1: Yeah, that's it, Charlie, Chuck.
2: Ah,
0: good.
1: Charles. It is-
2: quite an honor sir to to have
1: you on the show
0: we have well, never met you we've never talked to you but we were we're going to guess that it's an honor to meet you so it's
1: an honor to meet you guys obviously
0: <laughs> oh well thanks I, I love your background is that real stuff yeah you know, that's not just one of those uh, fake backgrounds you can put up like balloons and clowns and things
1: like that? <laughs> yeah it's real stuff it's a bunch of uh, reenactor hats is the thing you see and then oh some pictures, uh, canteens, haversacks, and I had to put some ASL things back here.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, it's uh, excellent.
1: Oh, yeah, it's, uh, and then games galore, some books and stuff. I, I don't have enough shelf room for all the stupid games and books.
0: That, that's the kind of, and are you in a basement or what, what, what kind of room? Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. in my
1: uh, office, which is that I do my artwork in. I mean, I could rotate the computer, but I don't think it's going to be that exciting. So,
0: yeah, no, that's well. <laughs> fine. But uh, that's the kind of basements we like to see—is just jammed full of goodies like that. What's the hat with the black? The black with the long white? Uh...
1: That's my wife's hat. Oh, okay. Oh, Oops. chair. Sorry about that. It's a nice little uh, top hat kind of thing. We do 1870s reenacting sometimes. Okay, and, uh, that's what that's for. And I kind of graduated recently from doing Civil War reenacting where I did I did both sides. I just wasn't just like a you know, gosh, Rebs are for everybody, but um, uh, I, I was in groups so that were pretty uh, authentic oriented. You always carry everything in on your back. You know, it's not like we drove big trailers in with wall tents and cots and refrigerators. <laughs> it's uh, if you can't fit it in your knapsack or your uh, horse collar blanket roll, then you're not taking it.
0: Yeah, I always find that fascinating, the uh, extreme uh, measures people will go for their authenticity.
2: <clears throat> so are you st- and you OK, you said you still do a little bit of reenact reenacting. OK, because we'll do. We had the best one up here in Illinois. It was this, um, oh, oh, shoot, no, I can't come up with the name of it, but it it was vast and it was uh, kind of colonial, frontiersy, everything around that that time span, and it was really, really large. And I had only gone a couple years as a as a uh, observer, and um, sadly, uh, they were saying it was going to be the last year, and part of it was just getting enough help to help run the thing overall but i remember one of the reenactors was saying um like the young people reenactors when they that he used to love the um sense of camaraderie and hanging out at the tents and seeing by the campfire for real you know at night and stuff and meeting new people and he said a lot of the newer younger reenactors were kind of like just go back in their tents and get on their phones
1: <laughs> yeah and am thought sure it, that's what happens.
2: Yeah, he thought it was much less um, camaraderie based. So I don't know if you've experienced. You shouldn't it.
1: even have your phone at a reenactment. That's just like <laughs> no, no thing. I mean, um, unless you're a doctor, you know, you got to, or you're one of the people running the events, and you need the communications. Bringing a phone or any kind of anachronistic device to an event's a no-no. But yeah. some events allow it, you know. But the good ones well. don't.
2: No. <laughs> yeah you have a regular wife i guess you got to stay in touch somehow at some point but um well this show is 80 percent about advanced squad leader so <laughs> uh talking with you um i've always seen your name i'm the long-term ASLer. got in an 80 80- i didn't do the original squad leader got in and right with advanced just started miniature war gaming and then my buddy's like We have to try this new thing—the Cadillac of war games. It's Advanced Squad Leader, and I'm like, oh, it's expensive. I don't know if I can afford it. (laughs) And um, so that was my start. Jeff came in later, although Jeff, it's been—I'm
0: a newbie. It's been 15 years.
2: Yeah, I don't know if that counts as newbie anymore, Jeff. I
0: I don't. That's my excuse too. I'm a newbie.
1: (laughs) Just among us.
2: (laughs) That would
0: account. That would account for my poor, poor playing, but. How long have you been involved with the ASL, Charlie?
1: Uh, ASL itself, I got involved with when they first conceived it back in the early 80s. You know, I guess Don decided to, that they needed to put all the rules together. Oh, yeah, Don and Bob McNamara, I'm not really sure, uh, Bob, but I think Bob was hired really to kind of do that for Don, to put all the, you know, the original Cross of Iron, Crescendo of Doom, GI Anvil of Victory, all into one thing, and then it just kind of, grew <laughs> to uh, you know the massive proportions it is uh, I, I played my first squad leader probably after I got out of college in 78 or 79 when a friend of mine I, th- I think a, an, a roommate I had in college his brother had bought the, the game and thought it was horrible and he gave it to my roommate who my roommate said here you can have this because I don't want to play it either and I said Oh my god this has individual tanks and squads and leaders this is so cool look at the map boards they go together all different ways and before that i had only uh, been you know my wargaming was mostly like one spi game called full to gap which was a modern warfare thing i'd bought that was my first real war game and then uh risk you know that was it so
0: yeah it's interesting <laughs> and of course we only talk to people that are still in asl but we don't hear a lot about people that say, "Yeah, I tried ASL, whatever it was, forty years ago, and decided I didn't like it." Uh, pretty much everybody, like I say, they're they're still in it. They loved it right out of the right out of the box. No pun yeah, intended.
2: Well, there was some resistance from some people. I think there's a small group that still plays squad somewhere. Yeah, yeah, there
1: there is because I go to the the, the world gaming Championships. Oh, there's okay. still a squad leader tournament. Oh, I find right. that, that amazing.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, the
1: original squad leader rules. They still give a plaque out for that. They, they don't have an ASL tournament there because I guess it wouldn't get that many people. That's really for the specialized ASL tournaments, you know.
0: And those are the guys that have to carry all their stuff in in their backpack. They're not allowed to bring the... <laughs> the van oh, i don't you know. know
1: about that oh well I, you mean at the wbc or the uh, asl
0: yeah like at the wbc uh, they're probably like those uh, uh militant uh, reenactors where they just want to play squad leader would never consider playing asl
1: i think some actually go back to playing squad leader just to play that in the tournament but i'm not really oh. sure uh, yeah. And they probably have to kind of f- try to forget all the, the you know fire as, as you, you move rules and all that stuff. Right. But some are probably have I, I imagine that some have never played anything but squad leader.
0: And you so you you got the game, got passed to you, you played it, you liked it. And how long after that? I mean, you started obviously getting very deeply involved with it. How did that come
1: about? Uh with ASL, you mean? Yeah, with yeah. ASL. I mean, I was uh there as a consultant and playtesting from day one pretty much. Oh, uh and with, uh because that I had just moved to Baltimore in early nineteen eighty. I think that was the year. It was that or eighty one? But any anyway, rate, and uh, you know, shortly after that they brought Bob McNamara in. Uh, Don knew I kind of played the games and so you know we would go there to play test uh ASL from you know the very first uh edition of the rules they had printed out on the old kind of printers that had perforations up the side
0: <laughs> oh yeah
1: <laughs> you know they would print page after page that were perforated yeah i don't even know what that stuff's called but uh
2: yeah and that was with uh, A- Avalon Hill the, the the old company right when it started and yeah, they were yeah and then so then you so you were involved, and then the original boards then were painted by someone else for the squad leader and Anvil of Victor, and GI and all that.
1: Yeah, the the first uh uh eight boards were print were all painted by a very good artist. I, Courtney Allen comes to mind, but I'm not sure that's the right artist. I, I would have to look in the credits. And then uh the original nine, ten, and eleven were actually painted by a lady that Worked there at monarch services which was the printing company for avalon hill that's where i was actually at on harford road but uh the story is there and there was horrible artwork the first renditions the first edition 9 10 and 11 were just horrible and i talked don into you know let me repaint these because oh. uh i don't know if you've actually seen the first ones you, but they probably not because they're
2: yeah intense. we got our we got our boards with the advanced set, so not not from yeah.
1: it's like a neon colors. there's a fingerprint on one side of one board, and it's just some ugly stuff going on. The roads are orange, and the hills and the there was the Christmas tree woods on one of the boards look just like a little Christmas tree, a diamond shape, and
2: like a side uh, view, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, well, I guess any straight on view of a Christmas tree thing, but it didn't have a stump to it but uh so, so was i that the, was i didn't redo the, those boards for don
0: was that artist's choice or was that just a printing error the things that you talk
1: about it, oh, it was artist problem uh yeah, don basically i i think john uh, don was trying to get a cheaper thing than than the artist that did the very good artwork you know the boards one through eight and then 11 12 13 and 14 that came out in. uh uh, the GI Envelope Victory Envelope. Game, that was all the same artists, I think. I'm not an authority on that, but Don yeah. wanted to try the lady that worked at the art department, and uh, she was actually an ex-nun. I'd, her, her first name was Marge. Uh, she was just quitting when I was kind of hired, and that was one of the reasons I, they also hired me there, because the uh, art director, Jean Bear, knew that she was getting ready to lose Marge for, you know, I guess she was retired. She was, you know, an older lady, and an ex-nun, which was kind of interesting, That oh, had, yeah. and, you know, was doing art and paste-up work, but she had told Dawn, oh, I can do those maps, but, uh, they, no, they didn't turn out too good, but, and they were never released in any game, the, the original yeah. boys, yeah. Eight, you know, nine, ten, eight, nine, and ten, I think, no, oh, nine, ten, and 11.
2: eleven. Okay, and so then you did original work, and now that would be with paint correct
1: yes yes all the asl and sl maps i did up until uh, uh i don't know i mean the first red barricades the original red barricades would go with paint i actually painted the red october map to match the red barricades but then mmp could not get a hold of the old negatives or artwork for the red barricades when they wanted to reprint it so they had me redo both maps digitally. So those are, you know, the, the new versions of those that came out in the red factories game are both digitally done.
2: Okay. I still, I still have to open my red factories, but... Um, so then when you're painting, either uh, medium, acrylic or oil paint oh, or... Yeah, ac- acrylic. Fast dry. And then um, what were the challenges with doing that kind of work compared to the computer?
1: It's so much easier on the computer. Let that That's be said. I would guess. It's just like, it's, uh, I mean, you make a mistake and it's so easy to redo it. Undo, control Z, or you just use B eraser and this and that. The, uh, I mean, the, the ASL maps weren't quite as hard because the paint on the base levels was a thick paint. It was a non see through paint, whereas some of the maps I did, like, uh, if you've seen the uh, great campaigns of the Civil War that Joe Balkowski designed, that MMP is now doing, those that those were done like a watercolor. They so uh, the base tan I would yeah. put down that first, and it's a very thin coat, and then the the green I would have to be sure to get only in the hexes that had the uh, rolling hills, and then so on and if I ever got anything wrong it's very hard to fix that and there was at least one or two hexes I had to try to fix by painting over say the rolling terrain with a light tan to match the base color really hard to do Uh, and I was working under like an acetate overlay hex grid and I would have to lift the hex grid up put it down and I would put little points in pencil where each hex vertex was on you know, on the artwork that I could erase later so I could see where the hex was without uh, drawing a hex field. I could just put the dots down on the map. But then I had to be sure not to paint over them or they would kind of permanently put the dots there if I got paint over them. So there, there was a lot of challenges. Yeah, you really couldn't make a mistake when you were painting very much, especially on the watercolor type maps.
0: The tolerances, the tolerances are so tiny I don't know if that's the word because you know a lot so many times I look at a map and I'll think oh I can take this shot I can hit them it's eight hexes away but it just cuts through the edge of a hill or woods or something I mean were you how did you get the tolerances that and and were you conscious of that like you couldn't have a line of sight that was longer or you knew that you had to bring this
1: no I I, I would never make a map board and check all the lines aside. That would oh, just you be wouldn't. Crazy. Okay, nah, nah. So um, they
2: were sorry. they were just basically generic kind of map boards, and then you just made them, and then the guys
1: kind of okay you just, made scenarios you just work with what you got. Yeah, you know? uh,
0: I always swear the devil is at work there, <laughs> messing up my shots. So <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm wrong.
1: No, I mean, and, you know, on, on the ASL maps, of course, blocking terrain has to be nice and crisp, the edges do, hopefully, so you got to have the map, when it's printed, it needs to be registered, all the four colors and the four color process need to be registered tightly with each other, or it'll get blurry, you know, the art will, so you don't want that. No,
0: because when you, uh, you said you redid some maps, like from Red Barricades, so you, you had an original map and then you redid it digitally?
1: I originally painted the, the original red barricades was painted back in the uh, late mid eighties. I guess okay. it was like mid eighties, mid even. Oh. I'm not sure exactly when. And that was a uh, painting, you know, it was all uh, brown paint for the base color. And then, you know, the buildings that were all done on cardboard and pasted onto the map. So that's why you get a nice sharp edge with the buildings. I would cut them out with exacto knife. Oh, uh, First, I would get a, this kind of thin cardboard, you know, not corrugated, but a, a card stock, I guess. And I would paint a gray tone over it for the stone buildings and a wood tone to, for the wooden lighter buildings. And then I would just uh, draw the little building shapes on those cardboards and cut them out with x knives and go around the, each edges also, otherwise you'd have a white edge if I, if I didn't go around with paint on the edges of the buildings. And they would actually give them a little shadow to the buildings too. You kind of notice some of those old uh, buildings that were painted. Uh, but then, you know, back in the 2000s, uh, I, late 2000s, M- MMP needed to have both maps done and released. So they had me redo Red Barricades digitally and then redo my Red October map digitally too. So they paid me twice to do that map. And the painted map has never been released, but I copied it pretty closely.
2: Now, is the the historical map, what did you use to tell you where to paint what?
1: Uh, Several sources, uh, aerial photographs that were very detailed and I would blow them up. I had these, uh, you know, period aerial photographs that the Germans took. And that were in the German archives, and I was sent some of them. And I also had maps printed by the Germans or captured by them that showed with outlines of all the factories. And you basically just, or you know, factories and and the buildings, all the other buildings. And you just put a hex grid over it, and you try to get that to scale as much as possible. The map scale, you know, the forty meters per hex. And then you just, you know, like all war games, you make decisions on what fits where sometimes, but that's uh it's the gist of it i guess
2: yeah so they, they don't always fit exactly so you just kind of have to move a little building a little bit and
1: oh yeah you gotta chop off a corner of a building or in this case in the red barricades the red october i could rubble the corner of the building if it was just popping over the hex grid you know because you don't want that in asl you don't want part of a building going over into a hex it shouldn't be in but uh yeah, you just or you you slightly move walls here and there just to fit everything to the hex grid. Uh, same with roads and creeks and gullies and everything else. It's the same for all war games, be it ASL, you know, forty meters per hex, or some other game like uh, the Great Campaigns of the Civil War, where it's a mile per hex. So,
2: have you ever had to go back in and uh, change anything once you got it to the game developer or designer?
1: Or oh yeah (laughs) yeah you you make changes uh sure i mean i mean i don't make changes just because oh this would be better as a four hex building instead of three hex but because like you get it wrong the first time you go in there and fix it but not because i want to fix it or change it but yeah and then sometimes there's like these 50 50 decisions you know when you're laying things out you know you got to a road going through half of this hex and half of that hex and then the creek over here and then you you put the road over here and then you realize well the creek's got to be along this thing so you got to shift the road over or whatever you know so i mean that's more in the layout process than the final art but uh yeah in final art you got to sometimes move things around too uh, especially if the designer says you know we got to change this charlie so so then like the designer of the Great
2: Campaigns maps decide what hex is what or did they just kind of give you a historical, you looked at a historical map again and
1: made All it All of those to, maps, I mean the uh, ones that are being designed now are being done by Ed Beach. He's taken over the reins of that game from Joe Balkowski, who did the first uh, several, you know, I don't know, half dozen or almost dozen games of that. And Ed Beach now is doing that, but yeah, I'm given a layout, and Ed has a very detailed layout. It's all done. He, he already figures out where everything goes. All I'm doing is doing the final art. Now, okay. I can sometimes find a problem or something, you know, where he might have missed something or I'll question it, but he's consulted, and, you know, he, and then all the other kind of same jobs, the designers, If I, if I think something's questionable or, like, should be in a different place, I'll I'll question them and say, you know, I've got this map that says this town's not that close to this other town or something, as an example. And, uh, but uh, that's, uh, yeah, like the maps for the great campaigns are all done from uh, period maps and stuff, I believe. Uh, I know Joe once told me, Joe Balkoski, that he had actually got county, like 1860s or 1850s county maps. To do those to get the the you know the terrain right and stuff. Now I'm not sure what Ed's using, but I imagine he's talked to Joe.
0: Did you do the maps for King and Country?
1: That's the ASL. Uh...
0: Those North Africa desert maps.
1: Mm, no, they had no? Kurt Miller re- redo those. Now I did the original desert maps when I painted them for oh. the west of olamine game yeah yeah uh, and then they were redone by kurt miller before mmp was was started using me to do the asl maps again they had kurt redo a whole lot of the asl maps and i told him why didn't you call me so oh well, well, charlie we didn't know you were willing to do these i said well you know you don't know if you don't ask but And that was also kind of the time I was getting back into doing artwork. Uh, I had been working in software companies for a while. And, uh, but uh, now I I have recently redone, and I don't even know if they've released it yet, uh, the board 25 and the uh, escarpment overlay, that's been done to look much more like the original board 25 and escarpment. uh, And it's being released as two different full map boards. So you basically have one map board it has board 25 with the escarpment on it. On it. Already there. You don't have to cut it out. You don't have to put it on and tack it down. It's there so you'll have a board 25 and then you'll have the escarpment whatever number whatever they call it. Maybe 25E.
2: The escarpment was really large. Well, I'm imagining it's in Hollow Legions, right? Which just came out. The reprint. I'm sorry, what? They did the reprint of the Italians. Is that and that's got all the desert. It's it's just coming out. We
1: I don't have it yet.
2: Okay. yeah they're releasing it now people have been starting to receive it it's probably in there
1: i I can't really keep up with what they release and what they release when and uh (laughs) even when i want samples they say, well charlie you got to tell us these things you know they not they don't put me on a simple feeder list that gives me all the asl stuff i paint i i got to know enough to ask for it and the problem is i don't usually know when they release things but
2: (laughs) it is (laughs) a challenge it is a challenge yeah it it is um one of our uh twitter or on our twitter account i asked some people if they had questions for you uh colin hunter just wants to tell you your maps are fantastic which of course i i would agree i'm just in love with them of course it's part of loving the game but i just think the maps and yeah and the you know stalingrad stuff is just mind blowing too um but uh One person says uh, it's Fauner that they'd like to hear about the solitaire ASL. Did you design part of the game
1: system or is that? Pretty much all of that came from me. And it's an interesting story, actually. Because I kind of just did some tables up to entertain myself and come up with a system to where I could just play on my own down here and test ASL rules so and then it just kind of took off from there and I never in when I did that I had no intention to publish a solitaire game through you know Avalon Hill or even have a, a system it was but it kind of grew into that and then I showed it to I don't even remember Don Bob or both of them and they said you know this has some promise this kind of works and stuff you know and it was published and we made it look pretty and you know prettied up all the tables because i'm i mean i the original tables i did on typewriter i mean it was <laughs> I typed it out and glued down changes with rubber cement paper and stuff i mean this was back in the 80s when we were testing the asl rules and uh, yeah i i think that those were kind of done for myself so i could just test different things and stuff at, at home here when i was playing and then I, so I just came up with a random system to play as the Germans originally only. And then you, you know, you would have Russians come in and I would just kind of have a movement system. And, and yeah.
2: One of the most underappreciated ASL developments in it, that the, the solitaire system uh, makes an infinitely replayable solo system, an absolutely wonderful one. So I thought it sold out very quickly. I think there's a lot of guys who have trouble finding opponents and it seemed like the solitaire concept was needed. There was no vassal online gaming
1: at the time, right? Well, you could play by true mail, like you could send letters back and forth. I did that once or twice with guys where we'd actually send letters in the post back and forth. This was before email. And, you know, you would look at a paper and consult dice rolls or something in the stock. That was really bizarre, but it it worked. Uh, And, yeah, there wasn't really any kind of system to do it. And Don actually had an idea to do it in the original ASL rules when it came out, but he didn't really have never really thought about it and uh, how it was even going to work. So I guess they embraced what I had done kind of by accident you know again then we packaged it up and so that's one of my few designs yeah i thought it's very good
2: it has whole tables for how uh, jeff you have never tried it right i've played maybe. I, I
0: never have tried it i've always wanted to it's on my list
2: i've done like maybe four or five scenario uh things from it and so the the, the forces then roll for their reaction to you based on various things and you roll to see what's out there to start with it's random and kind of like random encounter tables for everything but yeah really really good good
1: stuff i i actually got it out and played it a few months ago because i had never played the final printed thing oh. i said I, I i gotta do it you know because i had only played with my uh made-up counters years ago so i actually got it out and played it and got the little uh, nice printed counters and it was fun and I always like the thing, you know, my favorite part about the ASL solitaire is you really never know what's going to happen in the scenario. With the random events that can happen every turn, and then even from one scenario to the next of the same type of scenario, you might have a more chance, you know, a greater chance of random events happening for one side or the other. You might get a whole bunch of good reinforcements and just kick some butt or or the other way around, and, you know, you got to definitely get your guys out of the field until you know so they don't get wiped out
2: now have you developed a a don sinabarkus asked what remaining battles you're interested in developing have you developed any of the actual like historical games other than the maps or anything
1: no no I'm, i'm not working on anything i mean i've actually got good pictures of the tractor factory and you know the the third uh factory there in stalingrad but i know it was actually another version of that was published by uh some other company or one of those uh third wheel kind of
2: serzinski tractor works or something yeah, like that yeah, the that
1: critical hit or i think it might have been a critical hit release i'm not really sure yeah, it was
2: probably the serzinski Zer-
1: tractor works i think yeah I I don't have any anything in the plans for that and as old as I am now I'm probably not going to do that and develop scenarios and campaigns for it and everything uh I I think I'm probably done doing the scenarios even too but you know I I did a bunch of scenarios back in my day I came but we never kept track of who did what scenarios at Avalon Hill you know yes I kind of know some of them but MMP, when they reprint them, they hit me up. Charlie, do you remember who did this scenario? And I said, God, I don't know. It looks, uh, it's not mine. <laughs> Maybe Rex. <laughs> so, but.
0: You keep up with your, uh, so you're not going to develop new stuff, but you keep up playing ASL. Do you play regularly?
1: I, I was for a little while before the pandemic. I had a guy that would come down from New Jersey, Joe Bordenero. He was actually a fellow reenactor. That I met Joe was a friend of mine, a uh, Bruce Milligan that was also an Avalon Hill alumni and uh, Joe Bruce and I are all civil war reenactors, but uh, Joe would come down a few times and we'd uh, set up on the table and play some all day, you know, give me a break. Uh, I haven't seen, well, I haven't played ASL now in probably a year. Uh, so, but yeah, it it's definitely like riding a bicycle. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember all of some of the real, really weird arcane rules, but for the most part, I can pick it up anytime still.
0: And what about the uh, tournaments back in the day? Did you attend tournaments much?
1: I'm not a big tournament guy. When I would go, I would sometimes, I, I mean, I, I know some of the early Avalon cons. A, another thing I did was uh, I made a deluxe, three-dimensional board and i designed scenarios for it i have like styrofoam hills made out of foam core little buildings and trees and stuff i could and and i could change it all around even had little uh i guess n-scale railroads i would put down and uh so and then we play with micro armor and i I would do scenarios like big curse scenarios where tanks were, were a lot of fun where we'd have a you know, maps just laid out by me, I would lay them out and we'd play that. So that's pretty much my uh, gist of tournament stuff. Uh if I ever went to the uh Oktoberfest back when Fish Connor ran it, I would usually just sit there and play some uh Red Barricades or Red October scenarios or something, you know, with guys, play testers.
2: Um what is your do you have any favorite nationalities that you like to play in the system?
1: I usually pick the Russians up, uh, sometimes because a lot of times when I do play with buddies of mine, I'm drinking a lot and I feel like I can play the Russians when I drink a lot, you know, so it's like everyone, okay, let's do the human way or, you yep. know, like let's get in the Russian mentality of just advancing forward and stuff. So, uh, it's less, uh, critical things, but, uh, you know, I, I like all the things I, d- I don't care for the Japanese only because I don't like learning all the new rules of that. Mm. Uh, So I I stay away from the Pacific. The only time I ever played it was play testing it back back in the day. You know, caves and tsunamis and beach landings are out of my scope of learning. Yeah, Jeff and I have been doing a lot of those
2: on the uh, Vassal during that first year of COVID. And we just jumped right in. The good thing about that, it gave us a a place to have a little game set up for a couple hours that we could hit twice a week and then we we found we were taking our time There was no sense for us to have to clean up at the end of the night and have game for some other guy coming over two days later set up um and we just really took our time and learned the rules a lot better um but we have done a lot of specific stuff and yeah some of it's i guess caves are notoriously complicated but I just love the concepts of of all the stuff you know and it's interesting with the boards what I've said this on our show before but when I first started playing advanced squad leader and just loving the boards everything about it of course and I would be driving to Ohio to my wife's family you know often and there were times I'd look out at that terrain and just see everything as Texas there's a woods, oh, there's the root creek, there's a, everything kind of like open grounds kind of translated in my brain, Too much ASL on the brain, but.
1: I remember just getting some aerial photographs sometimes, or looking at aerial photographs in some of the books, say about the Battle of the Bulge, and uh, saying, oh, that section would make a nice map, you know, and I actually did that at least once where I uh, found an aerial photograph in a book and just did a map from it, you know, and then you have to adapt the roads coming in at the areas. I think board 19 might have the number wrong, but it has a big field and a woods along one side. But uh, yeah, uh, and I remember back in my days at Avalon Hill, if I ran out of things to do and I didn't have another job to work on, I would usually get out a blank hex grid and just, scribble down a map layout, you know, and get the markers out, color the woods green and this and that. There's Mishka. (laughs) Is that a Russian name too? Yep. My cats are all have Russian names or (laughs) something there. I have Tatiana, Mishka and Lada.
0: Wow. Interesting.
1: This is the only boy. There he is. Knocking around.
2: Knocking over the
1: solitaire game. Mm-hmm.
0: do you have any uh oh. in all your games do you have any that uh, kind of stick out in your mind it's funny how I, a few games i that i have played really stick in my mind as that were really fun do you have some that
2: jeff do you mean whole game
1: sets or yeah like a whole, a whole
0: scenario that you played
1: a scenario
0: a scenario some encounter with somebody Hill
1: like, 253 mm okay i i remember playing the original cross of iron version of this probably one of the most fun scenarios i was playing with a uh future brother-in-law of mine david shields back in when i still lived in tennessee and uh he would come over to my house and uh, we would get we would get feeling good and play asl and i was playing the russians and he was playing the germans and uh it was a great scenario. So it was the original cross of iron scenario. And I, I remember we, uh, each time one of us would kill one of the other guy's units, be it, you know, a KIA on a squad or a tank, you got to take a shot of liquor. So the more kills we got, the, the more buzz we got. So it was like the uh, evening out process, but we actually finished the scenario. And I remember going down to the wire. I think I remember going down to the wire. It was yeah. like three in the morning. So uh
2: oh man that,
1: that was one scenario that was uh, good yeah it was like a curse scenario right yeah
2: it, and it had like all the russian counters i think or something and it, no, like, it wasn't a monster infantry.
1: but it had lots of different yeah had like your su-152s su-122s all the fun toys had panther tanks for the germans uh i don't know if there was a tiger in that there was panthers there was air support you know good things engineers demolition charges if you know Locked, were are you, uh, are you drinking
0: vodka for that game?
1: We were probably drinking Jack Daniels or Jim mm-hmm. Beam, kind of what I'm drinking here tonight. Is just traditional.
0: Some <laughs> ah, there we go. Ah, oh, that's a favorite right there.
1: In fact, I need to pour me some reinforcements. You yeah, don't. there. <laughs> I'm, I'm running dry. My glass. Yeah.
0: Ammo shortage. Uh, and did you design? Did you design for other companies, other maps and stuff? Or is it pretty much just all been
1: Avalon Hill MMP? Yeah. It, my only designs, which are very few, have pretty much were all under AH or MMP, okay. uh like the Red October, the scenarios. Uh and under back when I was at worked at Avalon Hill, it was just ASL work. Yeah, ASL stuff, be it's you know, boards scenarios or the occasional game, I guess.
0: Yeah. Did you want to? Did you look at other games and think, man, I would love to design boards for that?
1: Uh not really. Oh, I guess. Okay. I mean, well, I mean, when you say design boards for that, it has to be kind of a system that uses generic boards.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Uh but right. No, I, I was pretty much just kept busy doing the artwork that was handed to me it was pre-designed by the the game designers
2: okay okay and then
1: um uh
2: the deluxe boards did you do those or is that someone else
1: i did the art for original
2: ones yeah so the difference is there you could get in and do the tracks on the dirt and everything if i Remember and correctly. And I tried to
1: replicate that a little bit when I did the, the recently released digital versions of them. I uh, oh you oh okay. I, I had to experiment and do some uh fancy brushes. I, I'm not the the absolute best in Photoshop by a long shot, but mm. I've learned a lot. And I tried to kind of texturize the things and what how I actually did the uh uh base for the even the digital ones was paint sections of small boards like I did the original boards because the art for all these original maps are it's all gone you know it was all destroyed when they sold Avalon Hill so Mm -hmm. but anyway to get back to my thing uh I actually painted up some of the some small boards you know like 12 by 12 the way I did the full maps and then I would just scan them in and put them together and then blend them so that it would look like they were more painted. You actually get more of the texture of the painting on, on the base map for the uh, the new ones. But then the buildings and stuff were all done totally digitally.
2: Yeah, because we just reviewed the uh, new deluxe pack um, on the show and I haven't looked that closely at those boards because I, I had played all of the originals, you know, multiple times from the old streets of fire and Hedra hell and all that you know mm-hmm. love those well i like the simplicity of not having to deal too much with strategies of moving around too big of an area so there's quicker to play um which i know a lot of people don't like that but it was a good change of pace for me and then uh the details of the tracks and everything that you got into those on the larger scale is really nice
1: I I like playing on the deluxe. I I love getting out the micro armor. Uh, In fact, when my buddy Joe Bordenero would come over, that's all we would play was deluxe. Uh, Of course, it's tough trying to find good scenarios for the deluxe sometimes, but Mm -hmm. it is nice because you got the big hexes and you can throw in the micro armor. I have a pretty good library of micro armor here. And uh, a lot of it was because Avalon Hill was sent all these micro armors by the ghq company because nobody else wanted them so i did them and i painted a lot of them
2: yeah i had a set couple sets of them i actually sold them with the um with the names of the scenarios on them if i remember correctly there was some of that well then since you were involved in avalon hill we have not gotten to talk to mcnamara i don't know how to get in touch with him um, Don Greenwood, I think we got in touch with him. I think he kind of sat eh, in. I'm not interested at the moment. But is Don running the um, board game championship still?
1: Don no longer runs the WBC, but he still shows shows up there whenever they hold it. We're still okay. hoping, holding our breath to see if it's going to happen this year. Yeah. Uh, Ken Guttermouth now taking over the reins of what you know the uh, convention director but Don still shows up, and of course he's always playing Breakout, Normandy there, and a few other games. Uh, I could probably uh, give you information to get a hold of Bob McNamara. That would Whether be really want to talk. I don't know, but it's possible. Yeah,
2: yeah. Some people just, you know, don't feel like I I, I have to talk for like a half an hour to an hour. What if, what am I gonna say? But um, it, it, these interviews usually work out really well, and of course I'm just fascinated with all of it. Jeff is too, and. Um, so you were at Avalon Hill as its demise was happening. I remember, um, when you.
1: well, yeah. I, I was going to say I actually left in 90, uh, March of 94 or 95. I'm, I, I forget now which, but it was And Avalon Hill still went on for four or five years after that, but I, I was okay. kind of like the rat in the sinking ship. Uh, I could see that, things were going downhill and and then I was offered more money by somebody wanting to do a software company and you know want to bring me on Bob McNamara and a few other Avalon Hill guys to do all computer games for him that that was when we worked at Talonsoft under Talonsoft.
2: Talonsoft was that uh did uh, Avalon Hill was also going to start to explore the options of digital uh, gaming. But they, they... They,
1: well, in fact, the Jim Rose that started off and took all of us away from Avalon Hill was hired by Avalon Hill a few years prior to that to be the computer games director or whatever they call him. Oh, okay. So he was at Avalon Hill we're running the computer games for a while.
2: So then what would you, what did you do with, it seems like a big switch to go to the digital gaming, like programming? uh,
1: No, I wouldn't do that. Heavens, no. (laughs) I'm uh, lucky to get my computer to turn on in the morning, as they say. (laughs) But uh, uh, I was pretty much designing scenarios and and maps. Uh, I guess my main forte was doing maps and stuff. Uh, Jim Rose would have me run down to DC. We found the Library of Congress map division in the Madison building has incredible maps, just Mm. limitless uh, and so many old World War II maps and uh, a lot of captured Russian maps captured by the Germans, captured by the allies. So you get all these really detailed Russian terrain maps and stuff, 125th scale, 150th scale of pretty much any spot in Russia or you know R- Russia back then, the USSR and stuff. Uh, I've got a lot of photocopies of those maps still because I I wasn't able to take some of them when I left Talonsoft. Actually, years later when Talonsoft closed down, somebody said, "Do you want these boxes of maps?" I said, "Yeah." <laughs> but so uh, I I was kind of doing uh, scenarios and and artwork for maps and and stuff at Talonsoft. Uh, Bob McNamara was there too, designing kind of what units go in and the unit strengths and this and that kind of the same stuff he was doing at Avalon Hill. So, you know, you know, figuring out all the different armor strengths for the tanks and this and that, because we were doing these World War II games for a Talon Soft that were tactical, not quite as tactical as ASL, but I, I can't remember the scale of the hexes, but, but it was a, a little up from 40 meters a hex. to might've been a hundred meters of hex, i'm not sure but that sounds right yeah and those were all war games again for Talent yeah Soft. yeah yeah those were war games for Talentsoft. uh they had a whole world war ii series they also had a civil war series which i love doing we did a you know Antietam, gettysburg shiloh chickamauga they even did a waterloo i guess that was the only foray into the napoleonics they did a not, they might have done some other Napoleonic game. I'm not sure, but we did a bunch of Civil War games, which were a lot of fun. I did I designed a lot of scenarios for those and some of the maps. Uh, the battleground that, they were all the battleground games. You know, you had battleground Ardennes, oh battleground Antietam, God. battleground Gettysburg, battleground Waterloo. Uh, and the programmer was John Tiller, who bless his heart, recently died. Actually, I heard uh, he did all those uh the programming for battleground games. John was a great guy. He lived in Alabama and got to work remotely. So, he didn't yeah, I didn't I Rose.
2: never never did get into the computer thing other than um Sonic the Hedgehog, you know,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> at home just these real you know I just somehow my wife let me get a PlayStation and then I could spend a couple hours on it and then recently it, then you know face to face is what I love, being with people. Um, so eventually my son just got me playing Neverwinter. I got him into the Vassal ASL. He had played a board game a couple times ASL with me. And then during COVID we did a, on Vassal, got a couple games in and he's like, dad, why don't we try this D and D Neverwinter thing? And it's so funny because I'm trying to control on my little pad in the middle of my computer instead of a mouse and my character's twirling around in circles and <laughs> It's like what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like I don't know. This is so hard for me. But eventually, I did figure it out. But uh, hey, I never got into those any of that computer stuff. Just stuck with ASL and miniature wargaming, and luckily had a lot of people to game with. So through that era, um, when when Avalon Hill had stopped producing, I remember what the last game was: Doom Battalions. Is that do you remember? I think. It, I,
1: think I don't it. know. I I again I left Avalon Hill and. I think it was March of 95. Five,
2: yeah. So, yeah, and, I think uh, that that last game, when I heard that they were going out of business and they only made a limited run of this last squad leader product. Um, luckily, my local game store guy had an extra copy. My friend told me, who worked with the local game store guy, said, oh, he sometimes keeps extra copies, you know, down under the counter there. Like, <laughs> if you ask him really nice... <laughs> and he likes I you know. a lot. And I I <laughs> called him. Oh I God. said, I went over there to Charlie ProSec shop. It's real famous around Illinois. Um mm-hmm. it's Charlie. I, I I heard this company's gone under, they only made so many of these game. And he goes, Yeah, I I got one down here. You can have it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Oh. And I thought, of course, that would be the end of the whole thing. And who would've known? It's we're all still doing this stuff. Oh, so. Thanks to MMP. Thanks to you for continuing yeah. to redo the maps and
1: good yeah. stuff. Well, the, the MMP guys is, I think most people know, but maybe some don't, uh, Perry Cott, Brian Yowes, they were all early playtesters for the ASL system. And uh, they, they would come every uh, play test night. I think it was on Thursdays that we would play at Reed Street, which was the downtown office, downtown Baltimore. Where uh, where the game designers worked, and uh, up on the third floor of Reed Street was just where we'd set up playtest scenarios. And uh, you know, we'd play the ASL rules. Sometimes we'd just do random scenarios, or you know, random units, just to test the rules out, how defensive fire works, and this and that. And a lot of times, they would have me kind of try to design something. But uh, Perry and Brian were both some of the early playtesters there. Uh, along with a buddy my name, Tom Murphy. And then there was Harry Southwell and Tom Kirchner. Haven't heard from him in ages, but, uh, and a few others, you know, of course, Bob McNamara kind of oversaw it. Rex would play with us sometimes when he wasn't playing Rex Martin, that was the editor of the general at the time. So Rex would play with us sometimes if he wasn't playing Empire in Arms with Craig Taylor. Uh, oh yeah, Craig Taylor.
2: Met him at a tournament.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Craig well a great guy. <clears throat> it's been
2: a wonderful interview with you. Uh, we want to thank you for your time. Um, do you have anything else, Jeff or Charlie, to add to the conversation? Anything we
1: should have asked
2: but didn't ask?
0: Have you revealed all your secrets?
1: <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but None are that, that interesting that I can think of. <laughs>
0: well if you think of anything let us know because uh, it's been great talking to you and we
1: uh, i've enjoyed it also you uh yeah. i hope i did okay uh you know. oh yeah oh you did
0: great <laughs> you know our listeners love hearing from people that have been involved with the game for a long time it's part of the history of the game and it's it's been one of one of our most popular features of the podcast is doing interviews like this so We really appreciate you, uh, your contribution.
2: Yeah, because just listening to Jeff and I fumble through the rules or whatever we're doing
1: just doesn't cut it.
0: Yeah, that can be (laughs) tedious. So, well, nice to have a celebrity on
1: occasionally. Oh, you're a celebrity. (laughs) (laughs) Not me. You are.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, Get us in touch with Bob or any of the other old school guys who might want to come on be glad to have them and all.
1: Hit me up with, with an email about Bob and I can uh, at least send you his email address. Rex too. If you wanted to talk to him, Rex Rex is a great talker. So, you know, Um, you you get him on there. He probably never shut up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And we just had Steve Swan on and again, Jeff doesn't go back to 85, but I'm like, Jeff, These are like all the names in the general and all the names of everyone there making these great things that we love. And so, yeah, it's been been wonderful getting to meet you and uh, talk with you. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot,
0: Charlie. Stay well. Y'all take uh, care. Yeah, Yeah, you too.
2: All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Adios.